Welcome to a Sunny Side Up Life podcast, a show for the woman who is ready to live an abundant life full of freedom and positivity. I'm your host, Sammy Womack, a nationally recognized money expert, budgeting coach, and your very own hype squad. I'm on a mission to help you break free from survival mode, gain financial freedom, stay motivated, and focus on what matters most. Join the movement and let's start living on the brighter side of life together. And just a reminder that everything discussed in today's episode will be linked in the show notes. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram and Facebook at A Sunny Side Up Life. And if you're ready to take control of your money and need guided instructions, check out my free budgeting challenge by going to asunnysideuplife.com. Now let's get into the episode. Hey, everyone, and welcome back to another solo episode. Today, we are talking all about investing. I did a question box a couple of weeks ago to ask you guys what you wanted to hear for the last few episodes of this season. Yes, next week is going to be the last episode of this season and I'm going to take a little summer break and I'll be back in the fall. Anyway, you guys had so many questions about investing. So I was like, let's just do a big old investing 101 Let's start with why investing is important in the first place. You cannot save your way to wealth. So before I knew a lot about the personal finance space, I used to hear people say a lot, saving for retirement. And I thought, okay, they're literally saving it in their savings account or like in a safe at home in cash or something. And I'm thinking, I can't imagine ever saving enough money to be able to retire. And if you've listened to some of my previous episodes, you might know that I kind of scoffed at Dave Ramsey's saving $1,000 for your baby step one. Because I used to think who even has a thousand dollars just laying around that they don't need to pay a bill or something like how is that even real life? And so even our very first emergency fund was only five hundred dollars. I just couldn't fathom even having a thousand. So you can imagine (laughs) what my brain was telling me when I was imagining people saving their way to retirement and having like a stockpile of one or two million dollars. This just seemed completely impossible to me. This seemed like Scrooge McDuck swimming through his coins. Like this was just a fantasy cartoon, something that I don't know, people who win the lottery or trust fund kids like this is not what happens to regular people. And I had never seen this exemplified in my real life. My grandparents are in their 70s and my grandpa still works. He still owns his own business. He also has a farm, 80 acres. I don't even know how many cows. And my mom's in her 50s, my mother-in-law's in her 60s, like, and they're all still working full time. So this isn't something that I, I haven't seen exemplified in my real life of somebody actually retiring. 
And so I just can't fathom how this is possible. And maybe you're similar. Maybe you relate because I've talked to a lot of my clients and a lot of my clients are in a very similar situation as well. A lot of first generation wealth builders in in the audience here. Right. (laughs) So maybe you guys are kind of on that same mindset. Okay, so basically, when people say they're going to save for retirement, they don't actually mean save. They mean invest for retirement. So now if I post something on social media, I try really hard. I, I probably slip up here and there and say save for retirement. But what we actually mean is rev- is invest for retirement. Invest for retirement. Okay. And the reason behind this is because you really can't save your way to wealth. It, it's just... It is pretty impossible. I mean, maybe if you hit the lottery or something. But essentially, even with a high yield savings account, you guys know I love Ally because Ally stays really competitive with their rates. And they're usually right up there. Like Capital One has a 360 savings account, which also they they stay pretty competitive with each other. I have several clients who are with them also and have been pretty happy. I've just personally never tried the Capital One savings. Um, but currently at the time of recording this, June 2023, Ally is at 4%. Like 4% is a crazy amount for a savings account. My local savings account is I think half a percent. And I actually closed that account because I was losing money because they were charging me a monthly fee and an excessive withdrawal fee because I was moving money back and forth too often, which I think it was like three or four times a month. And they're like, nope, because I was trying to transfer money back and forth every week. And they were like, no, we're charging you an $8 fee for this. So I was literally losing money with my local savings account. But even at a 4% return on a high yield savings account like Ally, it's still not going to be what the stock market can give you. And of course, we've talked about literally the last episode, we were talking about emergency funds and savings and the importance of all of that two episodes ago, I'm sorry. Um, And we we were talking about all of that. And yes, that is super, super important, of course, but not for your retirement. That's like a next, that's a whole separate kind of thing outside of your emergency fund. And so generally, and the thing about the stock market, what makes it scary, I think, is that it does vary. It goes up and down. We've all seen the stock market charts. We've all seen the, you know, S&P 500 with the, you know, red arrow down and the Dow Jones and all these different things with the red arrow down. And you're like, oh, no, I'm going to lose all of my money. But the thing about the stock market is you really have to think long term with them. OK, and long term, you're going to return a good person, like seven, eight, maybe 10%, right? Usually when I calculate my retirement um, projections of like, hey, am I on track? I usually put 8%. I actually, the most of the accounts that we invest in, I think like the five-year return or 10-year return has been like 10. And obviously this is going to vary. So 
you can't really quote me on that and say like, hey, you know, this week it's it's negative one percent, Sammy, like what you said it was going to be eight. Obviously, the stock market is going to go up and down. But when you're checking these projections, remember to zoom out. Remember to check like the five-year return, the 10-year return on these accounts. Because especially, you know, if we're like in our 30s, 40s, which the majority of my audience is, we're going to be investing for 20 years, if not more. Okay. Some of us maybe like 10 or 15. Our goal is 12 years. But nonetheless, 10 plus years. Okay. So remember to zoom out and look at those returns and those returns are most likely going to be higher. And if they're not around the eight to 10%, then you need to be investing in something else anyway. If the 10 year return isn't somewhere in there. And so mostly we'll talk about that in a minute is some things I recommend investing in. But let's just do this quick example. So if you put $1,000 initially and you contribute $200 per month and it's compounded annually at 7% interest, let's just be conservative and say 7% for 30 years, you'll have $412,000. So that's $1,000 to start, $200 monthly, 7% return for 30 years. You'll have over $400,000. Okay. So comparatively, if you were to save that, so if you put $1,000 initially, $200 a month, and you compounded that annually, if your interest rate was 3.85%, which that's what it was when we first started outlining this episode, actually, because Ally just went up to 4% like last week. Um, so if it was a little under 4% and you did that for 30 years, so basically you saved it, it would just be 135000 So we're talking about a $277 difference, $277 thousand dollar difference by simply taking the same exact amount of money and putting it in the stock market versus a savings account and of course you do want to have your emergency fund built that remember that's outside of this but we're not saving our way to retirement we're investing our way to retirement so the the amount of money is exactly the same it's just where you put it and you're talking almost $300,000 difference. And imagine, you know, we're to the point now, and I always say, don't compare your chapter one to my chapter nine, which we're literally nine years into this. But on average now, with the employer contribution, so that's with what the employer puts in my husband's 401k, we're investing on average $2,500 a month, you guys. Like that, that is crazy to, that is something that I never thought was possible. And I'm saying that not to brag. I mean, I am really proud of us, of course, but I'm saying that to remind you guys that literally nine years ago, I didn't even think it was possible to have a $1,000 emergency fund. And now we're investing on average $2,500 a month. I just like that is insane to me that you can go from here to there in nine years. That's crazy. So this is this is how you build wealth. This is how you break generational curses. This is how you become a first generation millionaire. This is how you do it. 
Okay. So let's talk about how do we actually start investing? Okay. You've convinced me, you've sold me. I, I need to invest in the stock market. Okay. But like how? All right. So we're going to talk about how. <laughs> so it is a really common myth. And I think we get very in our heads about you have to be a certain way, be a certain age, look a certain way, be an old, rich, white dude to be able to invest. That is the farthest thing from the truth. In reality, literally, it is accessible to anyone. Obviously, the amount of money that you're able to invest is going to be very different, but you have access to it. Anyone can do it. And you can literally start with any amount of money. Okay, my daughter is investing $10 a month of her own money. You can literally start with $10 a month. Okay, and, and you can build up. We don't all start at $2,500 a month. That's just insane. Like, I can't even believe that that's actually reality. We surely did not start here. So you can start with fractions. So the thing about starting with fractions is it is started in what is called an ETF. Okay, it's a type of investment that tracks an underlying asset like an index. And you get to basically buy it at a very small fraction. Okay. And an index fund, another way that you can invest very small, is it's basically a type of mutual fund um, that targets an index that tracks and grows at the same rate, but it's a very fraction of a size. Like it's you're buying fractions of shares. Very, very small, very, very cheap. So look out for ETFs, look out for index funds. Okay. We're going to talk a little bit more about that in just a minute. Um, and also remember that the sooner and the more consistent you invest, the better. I think the biggest key to remember is that time is your best friend with investing because of that compound interest. So the thing about compound interest is, is that it's not just, hey, right now you're making, you know, $5 return or something. It's that then your $5 return next month will also get a return. And then that return on your other return will also get a return. So it's like the ultimate snowball. Okay. It is just growing and growing. If you were impressed by Dave Ramsey's debt snowball of paying off your debt, just wait until you learn about the investing snowball. It's insane. And you're building wealth instead of paying off debt. It's even more fun. Okay. You're building that asset side of your net worth instead of just attacking that debt side of your net worth. It's it's pretty cool. This is how you become wealthy. This is how you become rich. This is how you become a millionaire. It's not gambling. It's not wishing on a shooting star. It's not sitting around and hoping and praying that it happens. It is taking action. It's not too late. You're not too old. It's not useless. It's not some kind of magic pyramid scheme, get rich quick scheme. It is legit. And this is how it works. Okay. I have clients who are in their 50s 
and they're just now starting to invest and that's okay. I have had several clients who have filed bankruptcy and they're like, oh, I'm behind or they've gotten, you know, a house repossessed. They've had to do debt consolidation. They've went through a very expensive, messy divorce and they're like in their 40s now and they're just like, it's too late for me. I'm never going to be able to retire. Okay, maybe you're not going to be able to retire at 50, but that's okay. It's it's never too late. And something is going to be better than nothing. If you have something in retirement and you only have to work part time, that's better than working full time. <laughs> okay. So let's talk about the type of accounts. So the first type of account, which I think is the most common, what we're most familiar with is the employee sponsored. So an employee sponsored account is like a 401k. A 401k is for a for-profit business and a 403b is for a non-profit business, but they're essentially the same thing. And these are deducted straight out of your paycheck. So most people are familiar with these. Oftentimes there is a match option. Not always, but oftentimes there is. And remember that if your employer does offer you a match, this isn't just free money. This is part of your salary. This is part of your perks, of your fringe benefits, of working for this company. So do not miss this if possible. And I always say that that is your first priority when investing is get that employer match. That is one of the first things we did. That was like our first move with investing. Um, we have, I think it's a 2% match. And then another, the next 3% is like a half match or something like that. So it, it the math was very confusing to me at first. And honestly, I can't even remember it off the top of my head. If that's, it's something like that. So it's like a full match, then a half match to another certain percent. Anyway, I did the math and I was like, all right, so we're going to invest 5%. So we'll at least get that match. And that was the first thing we did. That's where we started. And that match, like I said, it's not just free money. It's part of your compensation. It is part of your salary. Get it. It is also um, tax advantaged. So if you're doing a tax deferred 401k, this will lower your taxable income. Ask your tax professional if you um, if this is the best option for you to maybe explain it a little better. If this applies to you, if you're right on the edge of a tax bracket and you need to lower that taxable income to get into a lower tax bracket. Obviously, everybody's personal situation is a little bit different, so it's kind of hard to give really specific advice here. Um, but ask about it. And if it is a tax deferred 401k or something, it will lower your taxable income. The biggest disadvantage to this is that actually what you're invested in the specifics of, hey, I bought stocks in X, Y, and Z, you have usually less options than what you can invest. So for us, for our 401k, we have a short list. I think it's like five or 10 options. Like, hey, you can invest in these things. The good thing is most of these are things that you probably actually want to invest in, in, in my experience with my personal and some of my clients. For us, our 401k, I was like, all right, we're going to do... Um, 
a target date retirement fund. That's what our 401k is in. And I'll talk about it a little bit more later and explain what that is exactly. There are also limits with these 401ks. They change every single year. So make sure to, you know, stay updated on the limits. But in 2023, the limit is $22,500 of what you can invest as the employee. And most of us aren't investing $22,500 in our 401k. So like we're not even close to that amount. And that's okay. But you can invest all the way up into that. But it's a goal. Hey, maybe one of these days. I don't know. You know, who knows? Next, outside of the employee sponsor, there are also individual retirement accounts. You may be familiar with an IRA, which stands for Individual Retirement Account. So there are actually two kinds of IRAs. There's a Roth IRA and there's a traditional IRA. And they are different. With a Roth IRA, you contribute after-tax dollars and your money grows tax-free. So you can generally make tax and penalty-free withdrawals after the age 59 and a half, um, or you can also make withdrawals to your contributions only with your Roth IRA without getting penalty. So say you invest... $200 and it grows and it becomes 250. Okay. You can withdraw that 200, that initial contribution, um, and any monthly contributions, any contributions at any time, but you can't take out that $50 that it grew. So you can take out whatever you've actually put in, but not the growth on the money. So sometimes that's an early retirement um, plan for some people. That's part of ours is like, hey, we can take that money out before we're 59 and a half if you want to retire early or if an emergency ever comes up and like like a really, really life altering emergency above and beyond your emergency fund, you know, like you're out of work or you are very you're terminally ill or just something really bad. You can also pull out those contributions. So that's kind of a perk, too. Um, but there are income limits on a Roth IRA. And after you get to a certain point, uh, it's like, I think, uh, I can't remember off the top of my head. It's like 150, 200, something like that, thousand. So it's kind of, it's pretty far up there. Most people, the average people can invest in a Roth IRA. So with the traditional, that's something, if you are over those income limits, you can invest in a traditional IRA. It's still an IRA. You still have complete control over it, but you contribute pre-tax dollars. So your money grows tax deferred and your withdrawals will be taxed at your current income after age 59 and a half. So that's something else to consider. So if you expect your income and tax rate to be higher at present and lower at retirement than it is right now, 
um, a traditional IRA might be a better bet for you. So again, um, if you are working with a professional, make sure to kind of talk that through because that's not a one size fits all answer if which one is better for you. So talk that through with if you work with a financial planner or an advisor or your tax professional or whoever it is that you're working with, a CPA, ask them what is best for you, do a little bit more research, but at least you're kind of like, okay, we're going to dip our toes and at least we understand there is a difference between a Roth and a traditional IRA. So in 2023, the contribution limits are um, $6,500 per year per per spouse. So if you are um, a two person, if you file jointly, you know, whatever, um, if you have two partners, you can each contribute that much. So $6,500 for my husband, $6,500 for me. So we can do $13,000 together, which is pretty cool. That's a good bit of money. Um, You also get an extra $1,000 if you are 50 or older. So $7,500 is the limit if you're 50 or older. It's like a catch-up rate. And so this is per fiscal year, which means your tax filing date. So if you file in April, every April, you can actually contribute all the way up until you file. You can contribute after you file, but then you would just have to file an amendment to your income tax. And that's a pain in the butt. And I wouldn't recommend that. But for us last year, we knew uh, my husband worked. um, He had a good bit of holiday pay coming at the end of the year. And so I was like, okay, cool. We can finish contributing in January and February before we file to kind of to try to hit that limit. And last year was actually the first year that we maxed out his IRA ever. And it was so cool. I was I was so proud of us. Um, And if you listen to my last episode about selling our land, we actually were able to max out both of our IRAs this year, which is so cool. I can't believe that I have a maxed out IRA. Like it does not seem real. I keep logging in and checking on it like it's going to disappear or something because it's just so surreal to me. Um, Also, you can actually have a Roth IRA and a traditional, which my husband has both. It's part of our retiring early little plan scheme that we've got going on. Um, But the limit still applies. So even though he has both, that total is still $6,500 for him. And whatever website you're investing in, it will help you keep track. So he uses Fidelity. I use Vanguard. They both will be like, hey, you have, you know, $1,000 left until you hit the max. Like they're going to help you keep track of it. Next is um, a brokerage account. So a brokerage account, I think, is more of like the regular investing, I think, for lack of a better word. It's not necessarily retirement geared. Um, It's more of like, hey, like we're day traders. We just want to buy like some stock in Tesla or, you know, something like that. It's not tax advantaged. You're going to pay taxes on any money you make in there. Um, It's not going to be, you know, anything tax advantaged like your IRAs or your 401k or your 403b. They're not trying to give you a tax break on those because they're like, "Mm, they're doing this as an income stream, not as a retirement plan. 
So brokerage accounts are always there. They're always available, but they're just not going to give you those tax advantage. So I always say my kind of order of operations is like get the employer match all the way up until your match, then go over to your IRAs, try to max those out. If, if you don't, if you're not able to, then just stop there. Like that's, that can be your last step. That's okay. If you are able to max out your IRAs, then go back to that 401k and contribute even more all the way up to that max amount. And by then, that's probably way more than I will ever be able to invest. So investing in a brokerage account is probably not in my plan anytime soon. But brokerage accounts do exist. You can invest in whatever you want. You can go and literally buy individual stocks. You can go and buy index funds. That's like a group of stocks that are kind of discounted, like we talked about earlier. Um, and, and just start clicking around, doing some research, you know, even watching the stock market news. I've learned so much. Um it really, honestly, what I love is Yahoo Finance. I know Yahoo is like very old school, like it's not cool anymore. But Yahoo Finance is, I think, one of the best resources because they just really explain things really well. And so on Yahoo Finance, you can go and research index funds and see like what's inside of it. And so like an index fund, you can get a um, like a... Let's think of a good example, like a health kind of index fund. And so in it, there's different like pharmaceutical companies and different things like that. Or you can get like a telecommunication um, one where it's like different, maybe different cell phone companies or something like that. And it's all like bundled in one index fund. There's some pretty cool ones out there. So if you're just like, oh, I'm going to be in the health fitness like scope and like you can invest in publicly traded gyms and medicine companies and different things like this it's it's pretty cool um there's no limits you can literally invest in anything you want as much as you want but remember you are going to pay taxes on it um the last on the list is the kids investing so there are a few options for your kids there's a 529 which is basically college only um, but it is very tax advantaged. Like if you're looking to get some tax breaks, 529 all day, but you can only use it basically for college. So there are also UTMAs and UGMAs, which is a uniform transfer minors account or a uniform gift minors account. The UGMA contains only financial products such as stocks, bonds, and mutual funds. The UTMA, you can have financial assets and physical assets. So the money becomes theirs when they reach adult age. So it's your kid's account. You're literally put their social security numbers on the account and you on there also as their adult. But as soon as their legal age, which varies from state to state, so 18, 21, wherever it is in there, the money is legally theirs. And they can spend it however they want. So that's a little scary for some parents. Um, 
And especially maybe considering your kid's personality, you're like, I don't know if they're going to make the best decisions with it. So some people that does kind of scare away and they're like, no, I don't know if I want the kid to have that much control. Maybe when they're 18 and I'm giving them like $20,000 or $50,000, like that's a little scary. Um, Also, these are not quite as tax advantaged as the 529s, but they are slightly. There's kind of like a graduated scale um, also. There is also a custodial IRA, but your child has to have a taxable income. So most people don't take advantage of these until they have teenagers or um, maybe if you are a business owner, you can give your kid a job, but you have to actually pay taxes, claim them, you know, all of that. And once they have a W-2, they have an actual taxable income, they can also open a custodial IRA, which again, we talked about the benefits of an IRA. IRAs are amazing. So the sooner you can get your kid a custodial IRA, the better. So those are really, really awesome. So where do you invest? So there are so many brokerage firms that you can invest through. Do your research. I personally use Fidelity and Vanguard. There is also like Charles Schwab, Edward Jones. Like there's a lot out there. You've probably seen the commercials. Okay, there's plenty of options. I personally really love Fidelity. Okay, we started with Fidelity because that's where my husband's 401k is through. I knew nothing about investing and I was just like, okay, I don't know. Let's open his IRA there. His 401k is already there. Um, And then I heard a lot of good things about Vanguard. So I was like, when I open my IRA, I want to try Vanguard and see the difference. Compare and contrast, right? I personally like Fidelity more because of their website. I just feel like their website is so much easier to use. It's so much more user-friendly. It's so much more beginner friendly. They have those little things where there's like a question mark next to things where you can kind of hover over a little pop up comes up and it explains what the heck they're talking about, which I've learned so much from that. So I just kind of click around. I read things. If I don't know what a term is and they don't have one of those little pop up question mark things, I will Google it and teach myself. That's really how I started, honestly. But I've been really happy with Fidelity mostly because of their website. So we have our 401k there. My husband has a traditional and a Roth IRA there. And then all three of my kids, they each have a UTMA because we didn't want to do the 529s because we don't want to quote unquote force college on them. Um, If they want to be able to start a business or do something, we want to be able to help them. Um, So we did more of like a launching fund than a college fund. And we did UTMAs. Our UTMAs are with Fidelity. Um, And I have my Vanguard account. I have just my Roth IRA over there. I also still have a mutual fund that my parents helped me open in high school when I got my first W-2 job. Um, I have a mutual fund with Edward Jones. I've considered closing it. There's like $4,000 over there. I've considered closing it and like rolling all my money into my IRA. But honestly, it's returning pretty much just as good as my IRA. So I'm like, eh, you know, I'm not going to mess with it. I think the fees are a little bit higher 
Um, but you know, I've been pretty happy with that account as well. So you can also work with a CFA, which is a certified financial advisor An advisor is someone who's going to help you with investing decisions. So what I'm going to school to be is a CFP, which is a certified financial planner. Planners kind of take more of the overall view as like your budget and a little bit of your investing. Your CFA is going to be specifically investing. Um, They're going to be the expert and they're going to be able to help you with what your goals are, how much you can actually invest, how aggressive you want to be, different things like that. I personally, I will probably start to work with a CFA pretty soon because I feel like we're 12 years away from our retirement goal for my husband to retire early. And I'm like, oh, that's getting pretty close. So probably in the next year or two, I'm going to be getting myself a CFA also. Uh, Just, I don't know. I want that outside opinion. You know, I, I love working with coaches and other professionals, people who know more than I do, because that's the whole point of us having jobs that we know a lot about is, you know, you want to work with an expert. So anyway, also, you can invest in some of these apps. You can work with some of these apps like Acorns or Stash, Robinhood. You've probably seen people talking about them. I personally would beware of apps. Um, Some of these aren't FDIC insured. Some of these aren't regulated um, by the SEC. Like there's different things that they're they're new (laughs) they're not um as i think like verified as you know fidelity or vanguard these companies who have been around for literal generations but some of them are okay um they have subscription fees which can add up I think that they do kind of some people like them because they gamify investing. I personally think that it's not necessarily the best approach because I think it's kind of too short term minded. Now, I have had a stash account um, where I had Netflix stock in it, just individual shares of Netflix stock. It wasn't tax advantaged. Um, I also I've had a Robinhood account in the past. It was kind of fun. Um, I ended up actually making money in that whole GameStop thing because I happened to have a Robinhood account at that time. And that whole controversy, I made like, I don't know, like two hundred dollars or something. But personally, I think it gamifies it a little too much. And I think it's a little too short term minded. I think people are buying and selling probably faster than they should. Um, Because I think a retirement account, you need to be long term. And you're not really buying and selling, you're buying and and letting it sit. And I think also people that are buying and selling aren't considering the tax implications. um, Because you're paying full tax, like you're getting taxed at ordinary income, or capital gains income, depending on what you're doing exactly. And we don't like the tax the tax implications. I think a lot of people are not taking into consideration. And that was a lot of that whole GameStop controversy. It's just like, y'all, this is not in a tax advantaged account. Anyway, um, so just kind of be cautious of those if you are participating in any of those apps 
don't just be buying and selling an insane amount because taxes. Don't ever forget about taxes. So what do we actually invest in? Okay, so I teased about it earlier. I was going to talk about target date and all of that kind of stuff. Okay, so you can actually buy, just buy shares of whatever you want, which is really crazy where you're just like, oh, I can go and just buy like a whole share of Tesla or Amazon or Google or Facebook. Oh, and that's like open to whoever. It's a publicly traded stock. Just a regular person could go and buy it. That's really mind-blowing to me. I I just I just thought that there was more gatekeeping to investing and there's just really not. You can go on Fidelity and you can open up a brokerage account. It doesn't even, you know, you can go and open up an IRA right now. Why we're talking, it does not take that long. It takes a few minutes. You put in like your basic contact information, your bank routing number of like where, you know, your regular checking account of where the money's going to come from. You put in your social security number, you put in all that stuff and that's it. And then like you can just go and buy stock. It's really crazy. It still kind of blows my mind that just like regular people can do it. Anyway, you can go and do that. You can also buy index funds, which we talked about. It's literally a group of fractions of shares. And it's way cheaper because you're not buying an entire share of Amazon. You're buying a point zero zero five or whatever it is. You know, it varies of Amazon. And so it's like a few dollars instead of a few hundred dollars for an actual whole share. And so these index funds are fractions of shares put together, a fraction of this, a fraction of that, a fraction of this other thing, all put together into one nice, neat little package that you paid $100 for. And you get multiple companies that you're invested in. It's super, super cool. A total stock market index fund is where you're buying micro fractions of the entire stock market, the entire S&P 500, the entire Dow Jones, like whatever you're doing. You can get a total stock market index fund, which I love. It's my favorite. If you're with Vanguard, it's called VTI. Um, like the little ticker symbols that you see if you ever watch the stock market news, there's little ticker symbols. You know, everybody has their little symbols of what their stocks are. Um, even these index funds have those ticker symbols. So do a quick Google. Say you're with Fidelity and you want to buy a total stock market index fund. Okay. You do a quick Google. And I'm going to do it right now because I can't remember that code off the top of my head. Fidelity, total stock market index fund. It is FSKAX. That's the ticker symbol for the Fidelity total stock market index fund. At the time of recording this, June 23rd, 2023, June 26th. Sorry, I don't know what day it is. Um, It is... $119 per share for a total stock market index fund with Fidelity. So literally $119 and you can buy a total share. 
super cool. So just do a little Google. Um, do a Google that's like index fund for, you know, um, pharmaceutical companies or communications companies or th there's so many, you guys. There's so many. And it's really cool to kind of learn about them. Also, you can buy if you're doing ETFs, you can buy even smaller amounts of these index funds. You don't even have to buy a full share. So that one was $119 for a full share. You can buy half a share. You can go and be like, hey, I have $50. I want to invest $50, whatever that math comes out to point, you know, 43, a 0.43 share. You can do that too. Some of them will have initial investing where it's like, depending on what you're investing in, you have to start with $1,000 or start with $3,000. Some don't. So check that when you're starting. But usually after that initial investment, most of them, most of the index funds will let you invest fractions of shares. Again, this varies so much. So it's kind of hard to give perfect examples, but click around read through things, you'll see it. It'll make sense once you start to kind of, you know, explore that a little bit more. Also, target date funds, which are really, really cool also. And that's what my husband's 401k is invested in, is where you basically pick a year. So you say, I'm going to retire in the year 2050, 2045. 2060, whatever year you're going to retire in. And what this target date will do is it will slowly over time adjust your investments to be safer and safer and safer. Because you're like right now, oh, I have 20 years until I retire. I have 30 years. I can be pretty aggressive. I can be a little dangerous with my investing. I can make some risky moves. I have plenty of time to make up the difference. And sometimes that's where you're going to get those really big returns because you're going to take a bigger risk most of the time you'll get a bigger return but if you're like bro i'm four years from retirement i can't be playing around like i've got to be really safe and what the target date will do is it will adjust it to be safer and safer the closer you get to that retirement year isn't that genius? That's brilliant. You go from having less stocks and more bonds because bonds are safer. Also, if you get on some of these brokerage websites, Fidelity Vanguard, and you're exploring these target dates, they'll show you a pie chart, which is really cool. And you can see it shifting to being less and less stocks, more and more bonds. You can see it literally shifting over time of it getting safer and safer. Um, also, you don't have to actually pick the exact year you want to retire. You can fudge the number. Like you can just say, I want a 2050, even if you're actually going to retire at 2040 because you want to kind of trick it into being more aggressive. You can totally do that. It's not holding you to that year. Um, the thing about the total, about the target dates is that they are a little bit more expensive. Like you're going to pay more fees to the broker than you would with maybe um, a total stock market index fund or something. But it's pennies difference. It's it's not that big of a difference, but it is a little bit more expensive because they are doing that shifting for you. So just, you know, be aware of that. But I would say if this is interesting to you at all, I'm sure you're not nerding out on this as much as I am. But if you do want to learn more, 
go watch CNBC. And um, I really like the kind of mid-afternoon, three o'clock, four o'clock kind of um, time of episodes. It's like closing bell where they're just kind of recapping what happened in the market for that day. You get to hear whatever crazy thing Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos did for the day. (laughs) Um, You just get to hear about what's happening with Amazon, what's happening, you know, with Google, what's what kind of scandal is Facebook in the middle of right now? Right now, it's just it's really fascinating and you learn more and more. Also, you get to see the kind of that ticker symbols at the bottom and see what the market's doing and get kind of a feel of it and learn a little bit more. Also, read some books. The Simple Path to Wealth is like the encyclopedia of investing. It's great. The Simple Path to Wealth. Look it up. Buy it. It's not just a library book. Like it's one you're going to want to own. You're going to want to highlight. You're going to want to take notes in. You're going to want to refer back to. It's going to teach you a lot of kind of what we talked about in this episode, except in more detail. It's very like a investing 101 kind of book. Um, again, Yahoo Finance is really cool. Investopedia is really cool. Investopedia is like really a um, dictionary, I feel like, of investing. It's helped me learn a lot of terms and learn like the difference between a Roth IRA and a traditional IRA. And it just explains it in very simple, um, beginner-friendly terms. And you can always get more complicated as you become more comfortable and more confident. So you don't really just, you don't jump in like at chapter nine, right? Like I said, with my investing journey, you don't start there. You start at chapter one, you start with your employee sponsored 401k, you start with, I don't know, let me at least try to get the match. Let me get 5% taken out of my paycheck. You start with that. And then you're like, okay, I feel a little bit braver. Okay. Chapter two, like let's open an IRA for one partner. Okay. Let's like, let's automate and put $50 a month in it. Okay, cool. I kind of, I figured that out. I feel really brave a couple months, maybe later, let's bump it up to 200. Okay, cool. Oh, wow. We maxed it out. Okay, cool. Um, Let's have one for the other partner or you each have one and you're like, okay, you do 25 a month. I do 25 a month. That's also possible. Um, Okay, cool. We've maxed out one person's IRA. Now let's max out the other person's. Okay, cool. Now, okay, what are we doing for our kids? Like, let's invest for them. And and you just you learn more and more and more over time. This isn't something that you just jump in and you're an investing expert. You click around, you learn things, you try it, you increase those contributions over time. But you have to start somewhere. You have to start with, okay, let's do 50 a month. Okay, let's do, let's increase it to 100. Let's increase it to 200. Let's get all the way up to $2,500 a month, including our employee contribute, our employer contribution. Like you have to start small. That's, That's where we start. We start small. We learn more. You can always get more complicated with your investment strategy as you go. Like I said, I've been doing this for all these years and I don't have a financial advisor. And I think maybe in a year or two, I might be ready to do something a little more complicated than what I'm doing right now. Check and make sure I'm I'm doing everything according to the plan to retire at 50. And that's several years in, okay? You can start small. It's okay. 
So another question I get a lot is how much do I need to invest? So basically I say start with the end goal of what you want your retirement to look like, which is going to be so different for every single person. I've had some people where they're like, you know, we live in a very low cost of living area. I really want to stay here. Um, Our house will be paid off by then. I want to stay in this same house. I want to kind of just hang around. I want to help raise my grandkids. I want to be really involved in whatever's going on. I'm I'm not really a person who wants to travel. I'm a homebody. You know, I want to have a garden. Okay, that sounds like a pretty cheap retirement. Okay. I've also had people that are like, oh, no, I'm traveling. I'm going to have a second home. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. Um, I want to be able to care for my elderly parents. Um, I need $5 million. And I'm like, all right, let's go, you know, and everything in between. So everyone's retirement is going to look different. So make sure that you start with that end goal of what do you want your retirement to look like? And then think and then kind of work to present. Okay, that's what I want my retirement to look like. Of course, it might change. Who knows? Okay, but start start there. Per year, what am I going to need? Okay, per month, what am I going to need? Also, remember to subtract if you have a pension. Um, Look and see what Social Security will look like. You can look it up to see like what you've paid in versus what you should be expecting to get. Most of us are in our higher peak earning years anyway, um, which is what Social Security is going to base off of. So give that a Google. That's really interesting. Um, A lot of people will also kind of we're millennials, most of us listening. So we're kind of leery of like, is the government really going to give us social security? I don't know. We've lived through a lot of tragedies. (laughs) Like we're not sure. Um, I think personally, you know, I've been through a lot of my CFP class at this point. I've learned a lot about investing. I've learned a lot about life insurance, disability insurance, social security, all these kinds of things. And right now, it's looking like at this rate, Social Security will run out and we might not get Social Security, which is a real possibility. But also, this is not the first time this has happened, um, which I didn't know until I was in my CFP class and learned more about this. I think it was back. Oh, I can't remember the exact year. 70s or 80s ish. Sorry, don't quote me on that. Social Security was going to run out. So what they did was they increased the age that you can get it. So that dr- that drug that out a little. And they increased how much they keep out of people's checks to be able to fund Social Security. So it actually didn't run out of money, which I assume is what they will do. So a lot of people will say Social Security is going to run out of money. We're not going to get the Social Security that we paid in which is possible, but I think that the government will step in and will either um, raise the age where you have to be older to start getting those benefits and they will probably increase what they take out of people's checks to continue to fund that. Side, that's my side note on Social Security. But remember to subtract what you should get in Social Security. I personally don't count that in my calculation because I don't know, I'm scared. <laughs> um, and also subtract what you're going to get from a pension. 
The common guideline is 70% of your current lifestyle. But again, that's not for everyone. I don't know. Are you going to be traveling the world? Are you going to have a second home in Paris? Uh, Or are you going to be living even more low key and only need 50? I don't know. Everybody's different. But common guideline, 70% of your current lifestyle. Then the 4% rule. The 4% rule says that you will need, this is how you calculate your end goal. So you need to live on per year, what you need to live on per year, times 25. This means that if you retire with $1 million in your investment accounts, that you will take out 40,000 per year to live on. So you can kind of do that math there. And you have a million dollars, you take out 40. It should earn compound interest and replace itself in a year. So you're not just Scrooge McDuck and you pull a million dollars out and you just swim through it in your bathtub. You're only pulling out what you need for a year. And some people even just do a per month. So it's still in there all those other months building interest, growing. So that's what you do. Kind of start with that. And if you're like, oh, I need 80,000 a year, you know, then you need $2 million to retire. That's your retirement goal. Ours, um, our goal is a million and a half, which is roughly 60,000 per year, which isn't quite enough. Like that's our goal for my husband to retire at 50 is a million and a half in our investment accounts, which would give us 60,000 a year. That's not going to fully replace his income. Um, but also we're only going to, he's going to be 50. I'm going to be 47. I have no plans of quitting working. My career is just getting started (laughs) um, as he's like winding his down. So I fully plan on supplementing that retirement income there. So his retirement, our retirement account should be bringing in about 60. I'll supplement the difference. We'll be fine with, you know, a million and a half. That'll be good. So kind of as we're wrapping up here, I know this episode is getting really long, but I want to kind of just wrap up with the thought of, everyone's response that's kind of a skeptic of all of this is basically like bold of you to assume that we're still going to be here in 30 years. You know, well, I might not even live that long, you know? Okay. Totally get it. You know, I'm a traumatized millennial. Also got it. Right. We have, you know, wars going on, climate change. You know, we lived through a global pandemic. We've lived through terrorist attacks. We've been there. Political turmoil. It's kind of sketchy out there. Who knows? There might be a nuclear war. I don't know. Climate change is really terrifying. Who knows? Okay. But what if we do live that long? And I feel like, okay, if we're gone before then, oh, well, like, you know, you're not going to take it with you. Okay. But what if you are still here? What if you are still alive at 80 and you did nothing and you're not prepared and you're still working a full time job when you're 80? Like, that sounds awful. I would rather be prepared for the future than unprepared and totally screwed and exhausted and in poor health and or God forbid, put a burden on my kids 
or my grandkids because that's real uh, I just I can't we we're uncertain with the future of social security our healthcare system is a disaster right like I I can barely afford medical expenses now with really good insurance and being more or less in the prime of my life. Like I can't imagine what all that is going to look. It's so messy. Okay. That's scary to me. And I try not to do things based out of fear, but to just know that that's, a really real reality for a lot of people. And a lot of us are seeing our parents and grandparents live this reality. And I just can't, I just can't. So I'm going to be prepared. What if we are still here? (laughs) And I think that the best gift that you can give your children, honestly, is taking care of yourself first. You know, the oxygen mask. I don't want to put that burden on them. Um, also, this is a good time to mention long ter- long-term care insurance. Usually, it's recommended that about the time you're in your 50s-ish is when you should start considering buying long-term care insurance with basically like if you're in a nursing home, it's going to help you take care of that. Um, and life insurance. Everyone should have life insurance. Period. There is so much debate on whole policy term. Okay, yeah. I personally, I I bought mine pretty young. Um, there's pros and cons. We're not going to get into all of that. Do some research on that if you're not sure um, if a whole life or a term policy is better. I personally have a term policy. Even if, I'm going to say this, even if you do not bring in an income, Side note, if you are a stay-at-home parent and you don't bring in an income, you still need life insurance because you still are contributing to your family. So consider if if you are a stay-at-home parent, because this is always the excuse I hear, well, I'm a stay-at-home mom. I don't bring in any income. Okay. But if your partner was to try to take care of the kids without you, What would that look like? If your partner was trying to pay the mortgage without you, what would that look like for them? Um, And so my husband loves to joke and say that he needed my life insurance policy to be high enough that he could afford um, a nanny and a girlfriend. (laughs) Someone to take care of the kids and someone to take care of him. Um, But all jokes aside... Someone will have to take care of your kids if you're not there, if you have kids. Someone will have to, you know, prepare meals or take care of the home, even if you're not bringing in an income. If you are bringing in an income, okay, even more so. Someone's going to have to help pay that other half of the mortgage. Okay, that is real. Yes, it's a little sad. Yes, it's a little morbid. Yes, it's a little scary. But it happens. And to someone who lost a parent... My dad was in his 40s. He was really young. Uh, We were not done being raised. Life insurance was a huge help during that time of grieving, during that time of letting my mom get back on her feet. Right. Um, So 
look into life insurance. It's not that expensive. Term life is super, super cheap. I think mine is around 200 something a year. Um, Also, if your employer offers life insurance, jump on that. It's usually going to be discounted. My husband has a good uh, a policy that is like part of his compensation. And then we also have an additional on like even more so through um, that comes straight out of his check. It's uh, like 30 bucks a month or something. You guys, this is super cheap, especially if you're still young. Jump on this. Okay, get this, because that is also part of your long term plan. Okay, so that's all my notes. I hope that I really gave you at least a good place to start with your investing. I know I threw a lot at you in the last hour. I hope that it was helpful. Again, check out some of those resources that I mentioned if you want to learn more. Um, if Also, if you feel like this is really overwhelming, This is also something that I help my clients through in coaching. So if you are interested in one-on-one coaching, sign up, fill out the application. Let's chat. Let's see if it's right for you. I'll help you kind of come up with a better plan and help you kind of answer your questions. You know, I have sat with clients so many times while they've screen shared and we have set up their IRA together. And it's really, really fun and really rewarding. It's a huge check off your to-do list. It feels great. Super productive. (laughs) It's awesome. Um, So if you need a little hand-holding, that is also something I do. So again, I hope this was helpful. And that is all for me today. Thanks for hanging out for another episode of a Sunny Side Up Life podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend and leave a review. Five-star reviews are what help the podcast grow. Don't forget to check out the episode show notes for links to everything that we talked about in today's episode. And if you want access to all of my free resources or you want to learn how to work one-on-one with me, head over to asunnysideuplife.com to get started. And if you want to keep up with me in the day-to-day, don't forget to follow me on social media at a sunny side up life. Well, that's all for me this week. Bye, guys.